Support for Talk the Towns comes from the Maine Community Foundation, partnering with donors and nonprofits statewide to strengthen Maine communities through grants and scholarships on the web at maincf.org. It's 9.59 and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online everywhere at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with your host Ron Beard is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, a major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Well, alcohol and drugs are everywhere these days. Preventing, treating, and supporting recovery from abuse and addiction is really important work. And over the last 25 years, Acadia Family Center in Southwest Harbor has earned an ep- a reputation for doing that well. And I'm really happy to have some folks from Acadia Family Center here in the studio with us who can help tell that story and perhaps offer some information that will be of interest and, and uh, a service to our, our listeners. Uh, Christine Drabeck is the Executive Director of Acadia Family Center. Welcome to Talk of the Towns. Thanks, Ron. Thanks for having us on today. And I understand not only is WERU celebrating its 25th anniversary, so are you. Absolutely. As an organization. Yep. Great. Um, I'll ask you a little bit more about the history of the organization in just a minute, but I also want to um, welcome Hilary Chermak, who's an art therapist, and we'll find out more about how art therapy might be useful in this context as well. Welcome to you. Good morning. Thank you. And we also have Laurie Parker. Laurie is a family therapist, and, and both Hilary and Laurie have just recently joined the staff of, of Acadia Family Center. Welcome to you, Laurie. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Great. Well, hear hear a little bit more about um, um, your various specialties in, in a moment. But um, Christine, first of all, give us kind of your. Um, we don't have a lot of elevators in in Hancock County, but you probably have an elevator speech. One of those <laughs> things where you you're com- com- kind of compressing the story into a short period. Sure. I'll start with our mission. Acadia Family Center provides uh, pre- prevention, education, and now patient treatment services for adolescents, adults, and families affected by substance abuse and related mental health disorders. Mm. So really the focus of Acadia Family Center is to treat clients uh, where they are. We really try to take a gentle approach to substance abuse and to mental health. Um, Working really hard now with the staff and team uh, and the board of Acadia Family Center really to destigmatize the issues around substance abuse and mental health and to be able to have clients feel comfortable within themselves and uh, you know brave enough to make that first call and know that we're there for them and and protecting their confidentiality and uh, really with them on the journey towards long-term recovery. Mm. And tell us a little bit about the history of the organization. You're celebrating 25 years. Yeah, it's very exciting. We, uh, Kadia Family Center really started out as MDI um, drug and alcohol group through the hospital 25 years ago. And it was a group of people really dedicated. A small board started out and some of those board members are still with us 
today to really focus on uh, more at that time it was alcohol abuse and the organization has really grown tremendously uh, started an office above the post office uh, in Southwest Harbor and then went on uh, the former executive director did a great job growing the organization and uh, a house was purchased which is a lovely house formerly a bed and breakfast but uh, transformed into a lovely office and inviting atmosphere uh, located right in Southwest Harbor so and you're relatively new as well tell us a little bit about your background how you came to this work perhaps and then um, we'll, we'll go on from there sure thanks yeah I started out in uh, New York City got my master's uh, in counseling many years ago and chose uh, to get certified in addiction treatment and uh, started out in substance abuse um, working in an outpatient center, working in a psychiatric detox unit up in uh, Upper Manhattan, and uh, went on to nonprofit administration, working with the homeless and HIV services. And then my partner and I decided it was time to leave uh, New York City and move to a quieter place. And it took me quite a, quite a while to find a job that would pull me away from New York and into Maine, and this, this, really, this job really spoke to me. So mm. I'm happy to be here. Mm. Well, um, over the, the period of 25 years, I suppose that um, people have had different kinds of views about addiction, alcohol or, or drugs, and the related um, kind, of, um, kind of connection to family. What are some of the myths that, that um, you would like to uh, dispel, perhaps, that may still persist after that period of time? Yeah, and I think, I think that's a great question, and uh, I've been in the field long enough to have really watched it uh, transform over the years, and I think it's, uh, we're working in a harm reduction model. Uh, we talked a little bit before the show about the disease concept and absolutely addiction is a d disease in a family uh, disease and, and we see the genetic components uh, all the time um, but I think that that scared a lot of clients off uh, for many years to uh, think of it in that way and, and that sort of solidified that stigma of, uh, of addiction uh, so what we've really tried to do is destigmatize it over the year uh, not use such hard approaches there's such um, a high recidivism rate in the field of substance abuse treatment. So what we've really tried to do is is lighten it up and uh, understand that relapse is part of, of the whole recovery process. And like I said before, meet the clients where they are and not th not make them feel badly about themselves. Realize that, uh, you know, and not so much advice giving, but really uh, uh, encourage the clients to realize that they have the solutions internally and mm. we're there to guide them along. Uh, but they really, you know, it's, it's really a strength-based model that we use at Acadia Family Center. Um, and, and you use the word harm reduction, is that right? Did I hear you yes, say Yes, absolutely. So say a little bit more about how that kind of shifts um, what, what this is all about. Yeah, so uh, really for many, many years, uh, we in the field of addiction treatment um, considered only abstinence-based models. And so clients were told that they must abstain from all mood-altering substances in order to consider themselves in recovery and often to even stay in treatment. Many people were kicked out of treatment for, uh, you know, drinking if they had a heroin problem. So in harm reduction, we, we, we meet the client where they are again, and we really... Um, work in, in uh, getting the clients to understand the addiction but not be overwhelmed by the thought that oh I can never uh, you know use again and, and it really it, it ties in with uh, with the, with the um, 12 step model even though 
most you know people in the twelve step recovery programs are abstinence based. Um, it's taking it one day at a time and mm. trying to improve the lives of the clients uh, that we reach without scaring them into uh, transforming today, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. So if we think of the uh, popular uh, um, kind of depiction of the twelve step model, we see it on television, um, movies, that sort of thing. There's a recognition that people. Um, get as far as they can and sometimes they slip back but that that support that they need is there throughout absolutely right absolutely and and what do we know about um trends um you started out primarily thinking as an organization thinking about alcohol issues that certainly shifted talk about the trends what do we know about hancock county for instance in terms of where things stand today we all understand that the Oxycontin use is out of control, uh, Hancock County, even more so in Washington County. Uh, I'm still in the process of figuring out why that is. I'm, I'm thinking it has a lot to do with, uh, you know, the substances coming in on the fishing boats. Um, we're really seeing high, high use uh, and abuse of and just devastating effects. And just remind our listeners what Oxycontin is. Oxycontin is a, is a painkiller. And many people are using it, uh, you know, in the same way that uh, you use heroin. It's got very numbing uh, effects. Heroin isn't as widely used, I have to say, up here as I'm used to in, in New York. Mm. It's this, uh, the prescription pills that are uh, that are rife through in, throughout our communities. And we're not talking necessarily just about physical pain. Right. We're talking That's about exactly the right. pain that we experience as human beings, and, and this is a way to diminish that the effects of that pain. Absolutely. Mm. And highly, highly addictive. Mm. Mm. What else do we know about Hancock County in terms of, is it is it typical in terms of, of those people who are struggling with alcohol addiction, for instance? Um, are we different in any other respect? I really see Hancock County as a microcosm of, you know, the other communities nationwide. You know, I, I think so many of the young kids are uh, smoking um, cannabis on a daily basis, uh, you know, and... I think we're seeing uh, very different uh, laws these days, uh, state and federal laws around cannabis. So I think that's really changing the conversation and the understanding that we have around uh, smoking pot. Um, I'm seeing, uh, you know, lots of lots of kids, um, you know, drinking, and we see that we see that in all communities. So I really, again, see it as. Um, pretty similar here as most of the communities that I've been familiar with. Mm. And so then you could, if you could talk about um, are there um, myths around who is likely to be addicted or who is likely to be suffering from the effects of addiction. Again, I think back to early days and I think we said, oh, that's a class issue or it's where are those myths these days? I think that's a great question. And what we're really doing at AFC, and some of you may have seen our ads regarding uh, our um, Hike for Mike. It's, it's called the Who is Mike campaign. And it was in the paper. And what we're really trying to do is illustrate the fact that, so the who uh, Hike for Mike is, is our fundraiser. And Mike is really all of us, mm-hmm. right? So who is Mike? It could be anyone sitting at this table. It could be anyone in our communities. It could be a nurse. It could be a student. It could be um, our brother, our sister, our teacher. It could be anyone that has been affected, not only personally, but someone in their family has struggled with substance abuse or mental health. So the Who is Mike campaign was really uh, illustrating the fact that we're all Mike. Mm-hmm. Everyone has been affected by these um, issues in, in in some way. And it's not uh, class-related. It's not race-related. Uh, it's not gender-related. Um, 
maybe some substances uh, are, you know, geared towards uh, certain subpopulations, uh, but really we're all affected by substance abuse or mental health in some way throughout our lives. Mm. You're tuned to Talk of the Towns this morning. We're talking about preventing, treating, and supporting recovery from alcohol and drug addiction, and folks from the Acadia Family Center are with us to talk about that. Um, uh, Christine Drabeck is the executive director. Could you tell us a little bit more about um, the, your strategies around prevention? start with preventing because that, that's the best strategy. Yeah, that's a great strategy and that's something that this organization I think is really, really good at and we've got someone great at the helm, uh, Kip Young who uh, does a great job in the schools. He's been doing it for many, many years and he's going out to teach classes uh, anywhere from 7 to 10 weeks uh, starting in the 5th and 6th grade up through high school and he's going in to talk to the kids in a very uh, approachable way. The kids really respond to him. He tells personal stories. He tells uh, stories about all different uh, substance substance use uh, and he uses examples and uh, the kids really respond to him so uh, we've gotten so much great feedback from the teachers and from the students themselves that they're learning they're thinking about it they actually have gone to a party and passed on certain pills that are being passed around and thought back to something that Kip had taught them in one of their classes so these are life skills these yes. are decision-making skills that um, Kip is trying to help um, young kids. Are talking about consequences, which are pretty hard for young kids to understand that there might be consequences. So how does he how does he get to them? Do you suppose? Um, he, you'd have to know Kip. He's he's funny. He's friendly. Uh, he he's playful. Uh, there's nothing uh, dark and intimidating about what he's saying. Um, and he uses real life examples, and mm. I think that they really respond to that. As we talk again and again about this field the center, these types of radio shows, telling stories is the most effective way to reach people, and that's what he does. Mm, mm. And and in terms of, um, he isn't here, we might do a show with, with <laughs> Kip on, on the radio as well, but um, do you know some of those stories um, where, um, you know, he's worked with either a class or, or an individual that that's made a difference? Um Absolutely. Like I said, he talks to the kids and the kids talk about peer pressure. They come back to him and they talk about, um, you know, choosing not to go to a certain party or saying no to a certain drug or finding different friends in school uh, after, uh, you know, and, and, and understanding that the choices that they make at that point are going to impact the rest of their lives. Mm. And it's because of Kip's stories that they're able to do mm -hmm, that. Mm -hmm. Well, um, what else would your colleagues, um, Hillary or Lori, as you think about um, prevention, um, you must get involved in that. Um, uh, Hillary, as an art therapist, I suppose mm -hmm. you're um, exploring different ways to help people think um, about their lives. Most definitely. The uh, main thing about art therapy is it's a way to uh, really retell your story. Um, that's one way just to kind of piggyback on what Christine was saying, you know, telling stories about yourself um, through the art process can really help people see things differently. And that's really what I try to project to people is that looking at yourself differently in a different lens can really help you move forward and not really worry so much about what so-and-so is thinking about you or um, that mom might be home doing something, um, it gets 
it gives you that opportunity to really think about who you are and uh, move forward with being proud of who you are. Mm. And is there something about the, the non-verbal side that art therapy triggers in us? That, oh. that, tell, talk us about the difference between the verbal side and the non-verbal side. Oh, myself, I, I struggle with words sometimes. Um, it's very important to be able to uh, express yourself through that, that visual uh, because words are hard and words are misunderstood mm. um, and taken a different way. So being able to put it out on paper or in a sculpture or um, in a photograph even uh, and say, you know, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm feeling, a lot of people respond very well to that and really feel uh, more honored about their ability to do that. Mm. So how might you use art therapy in a prevention-type mode? Um, talk a little bit about that, and then later on we might talk about it as a help, help in recovery or a treatment mm -hmm. mode, but prevention. Well, the nice thing about it is um, it tends to accelerate the emergence of thoughts and memories. So if a person has a memory from childhood, um, they might be able to revisit that and then face it. Uh, a lot of times people will go through a, a process and get very scared and don't know what to do. But with me being an art therapist and being trained, I can help them through that process and help them look at it in a different way. Uh, with alcohol and drugs, um, it gives them a different way to look at what they can do with their their free time, you know, when they're idle and uh, remind themselves that they could journal, they can, you know, it's not just art and the visual arts, it can be singing, it can be dancing, uh, it can be writing so that they're not making the choice to use a substance to feel better. Mm. So they, that's what substances do. They make us feel better. Gosh, our coffee in the morning, I suppose, <laughs> is part of that. Yeah. Right. So you're saying you've got some other ways to, to feel those same kinds of feelings. Oh, you get a lot of euphoria from creating something. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I personally paint, I get really excited mm -hmm. on what comes out and um, I want to share it with people. And I think with drugs and alcohol, that's what we tend to do. We want to share an experience with somebody. And with art, we can share that experience as well, especially in group settings. Mm. Um, that's one thing I do have a lot of experience in is having a lot of groups and having that feedback off each other is really important because they get to see um, how they affect and teach one another and then they can empower themselves, just kind of what Christine was saying earlier. Uh, really look for that empowerment. And I suppose one of the things that you're helping them with is not to make judgments about their artistic ability. Correct. Okay. Yeah, there is no experience needed. Uh, you know, I've seen people who sit there and tell me, oh, I can't draw, and they'll draw the most phenomenal things. And it's nothing that has to be detailed but it really tells their story and it gets their feelings out. And that's really what's most important. Not what it looks like, in quotes. Right. <laughs> it's more of what it's portraying of their emotion. And I can imagine that um, it's then the trigger for them telling their story. Correct. Okay. <laughs> and then that, that story then helps them learn about themselves. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Great. And there's a crossover to family therapy in, in some of this. In the, some of this, you might not use art, but you um, look at the family as, a, as a, um, a unit that's affected by drug and alcohol use and uh, abuse. And so you're treating the whole family. Sure, yeah, and when I think about prevention, 
and working with families, um, when families can come into treatment together, where maybe someone is in recovery um, and they can talk with their teens or their children and maybe begin to um, apologize or look at the effects of addiction in the family, that is huge for prevention, for bringing this legacy down through the generations because we do know that families that have been affected by addiction, um, there's a strong likelihood that that will continue down the generations if it's not addressed. Um, So there's a lot around education that can happen through family therapy, as well as um, people uh, confronting each other and apologizing to each other and being accountable to each other that's very healing. Hmm. And, and the prevention, I suppose, um, having one person tell their story in a family setting then allows other people to kind of um, say, oh, how, does, how, how am I affected by that? How will I make life choices about that? Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. Hmm. Very often the, the, the children um, are, are already... Um, thinking, I, I, want, I don't want to go down that path mm-hmm. um, because a lot of hardships have come their way. Um, and, but and when they're not in treatment is when we see um, often that they're continuing to do what they've seen happen in the previous generation because they don't have a place to talk and process what they've been through. Mm-hmm. And by hardships, I mean um, sometimes addiction can result in huge problems for for people, whether it might be incarceration, you know, it might be um, that a parent um, loses um, a physical custody of a child. And so there can be just really challenging kinds of things going on in a family system um, with the fallout from addiction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're tuned to Talk of the Towns. We're um, speaking about preventing, treating, and supporting recovery from alcohol and drug addiction um, with folks at the Acadia Family Center. A little later on, we'll open up our phone lines and invite you. But we've got a few more things we want to talk about first. And, and uh, uh, Christine, um, move us, if you could, to the uh, the next next aspect of your work, and that's treating folks. Um, we've talked a little bit about prevention, and there's an interaction between all of those as well. But um, t- talk about treatment. What, what's that look like these days? Yeah, well... Uh, We are uh, seeing clients for substance abuse and mental health at Acadia Family Center in Southwest Harbor. Uh, We have groups and individual treatment, and uh, we're gearing up to see families as well. Um, We are also doing some substance abuse treatment in the schools. Uh, Kip's got some clients uh, in the high school and also at at some of the... um, elementary schools. And we are also, you know, as far as treatment, uh, looking to expand those treatment services and uh, increase the amount of uh, clients that we have at the center. What, what's, what's a pattern for treatment, if there is a, a pattern for treatment? What might someone expect or some family member expect if one of their family members is going to go through a treatment process? Sure. Well, uh, we, oh, and also what I didn't mention before is that we also uh, are DEEP certified, so we handle a lot of the DUI cases. Okay. Um, and that that pretty much has a, st- a strict uh, script that we need to follow that's, uh, you know, state mandated. But as far as, um, you know, the treatment services for families or for individuals around mental health and substance abuse, we'll work with them, you know. No one's coming in and we're not telling someone, you know, you're going to be here for six months or a year of individual counseling. We'll speak to them. We'll figure out what their lifestyles are. Um, We always start with individual counseling and, uh, you know, we won't start with family counseling, but we really find out where the client is and then 
stabilize them a little bit around the substance abuse or mental health, but always hoping to bring at least one family member into into the uh, into the counseling. Mm. And so, is this um, what some people might talk about? Talk therapy? Are you? You're talking through the issues? Absolutely. Right. This is right. talk therapy. Um, this is motivational interviewing. So that's really the selected modality at uh, not only Acadia Family Center, but I think a lot of outpatient centers these days. And this is really uh, a gentle approach. Um, and it is... Could you describe it? A little more detail? Yeah, it's really supporting the self-efficacy of the clients and uh, having the clients, it's back to what I was saying before about strength-based, uh, asking a lot of open-ended questions with a very non-judgmental, very gentle approach and really encouraging the clients to come to their own solutions. Mm. Mm. And, and and that, we can talk about it l- later on, but um, you could be trained to, to be able to use that technique. Absolutely, yes. And we have a training. Kip is uh, a wonderful trainer in motivational interviewing. And motivational interviewing isn't only used in the substance abuse or so even social services realm. It can be used um, in the school system. It can be used uh, in medical p- practices. It's really working with anyone that's resistant to change, which mm. is a lot of people. <laughs> uh, you can use it at home even. And it's just an improved... With, or- with organizations we yes. use it, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so motivational interviewing training is going on uh, on June 18th in Ellsworth, actually. We've done a few on the island, uh, but we're really hoping to expand it, and we're offering CEUs for that. It's a full-day training at Ellsworth City Hall, so uh, you can go to our website um, at www.acadiafamilycenter.org to find out more about that. Great. And, um, uh, Laura, as a family therapist, you have, um, you've got a specialty in uh, EMDR, is that right? Yes. <laughs> Tell us about that and how that might fit into the treatment angle of... of sure. Uh, EMDR was discovered in 1987. It stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's not something that I would talk with a client about right away because mm-hmm. I like to get to know somebody and what they're going through. Um, but... If someone is coming in, say, with maybe a dual diagnosis, what I think that means is maybe someone is trying to recover from an addiction, but maybe they are also struggling with anxiety or depression, or they've been through um, an upsetting life experience, and that has um, set them up to maybe pick up and start using. EMDR is actually um, the most researched and effective method for trauma now. Uh, there's been uh, 20 controlled studies uh, recommending it now uh, for someone that has post-traumatic stress disorder. And also, it's really effective, as I said, with anxiety, depression, insomnia, um, phantom limb pain, um, somatic disorders. So um, it's we're learning more and more about it. Um, so it's a complicated uh, method to talk about in a short period of time. But um, really what happens is someone, once trust is established with a therapist, they will uh, bring up the memory of the hard thing that happened to them along with the emotions and the negative thoughts about that. And we apply what we call bilateral stimulation, some tapping or some eye movements, and that activates the right and left hemispheres of the Mm -hmm. brain. 
that allows um, us uh, to process a traumatic memory and and relieve where it was stuck. Mm. Um, and then when someone recalls the difficult thing they went through, they're not having the strong emotions anymore um, or the negative thoughts. Um, so it's um, it's a really beneficial method, and and it's pretty interesting how it how it can help people. Mm. And I, th- I think probably the other part of the recognition is that so many of us have been through some kind of trauma in our lives, and we d- deal with it in different ways. We repress it, we deal with it, and all of those kinds of things. And what you're saying is this is another tool that you can use a little bit like our, th- our mm-hmm. therapy, using both sides of the brain to try to figure out, okay, how do we move this along so that we can move on with our lives? Great, yep. great. So we're about halfway through uh, the program, and I think it's it's fine to to uh, list our phone numbers, and perhaps we've got some listeners with uh, their own questions or comments or their own experience. Give us a call at one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight as we talk about preventing, treating, and supporting recovery from alcohol and drug addiction. And and you, you've you've kind of broadened that a little bit to talk about mental um, mental kind of health challenges. Yeah, yeah. Um, at the Acadia Family Center, we've got uh, Christine. Drabeck, who is the executive director. Um, Hilary Chermark is the art therapist, and Lori Parker is a family therapist there. So give us a call if you've got a question or a comment, 1-866-625-9378. What else would you like to talk about in terms of treat, treatment? Um, how do you want to round that out? Um, well, I guess what I'd really hope for listeners to get from this show is that uh, back to the de- destigmatize, uh, you know, destigmatizing these issues, and really, um, you know, people aren't alone, and there's nothing bad or ugly. Uh, sure, it brings people to do things, uh, you know, that they otherwise wouldn't do. But we're, um, you know, we're trained in, in working in a really non-judgmental, uh, gentle approach, and uh, even if you're not quite ready. Uh, to stop or uh, quite sure about what counseling entails, uh, you know, give us a call and, uh, and, and we'll meet you. Well, you know, we'll meet you where you are and, and, and see where the, see Mm. where the journey can start Mm. for you. Could you kind of um, trace out what we know about addiction um, so that, you know, people, people can understand that part of it as they might seek treatment for addiction? What, what is, what is addiction? Yeah. So I guess it's, it's really, um, when, uh, you know, sometimes people start drinking and, uh, you know, they can go out uh, a couple times a week, you know, or, or maybe in college or post-college and they feel that, you know, they can go out and have a couple of glasses of wine and it can be sort of a healthy relationship to alcohol. But there's a real progression with uh, the disease of addiction and it changes into something that's not so healthy. And it can happen slowly and I think it can really take a hold on people before they suddenly realize uh that their family is being affected by it, that their job is being affected by it. Um, and, you know, it, it turns into something uh, that is, is, you know, definitely getting in the way of the way people want to live their lives. And uh, I think a lot of people do keep it very personal, very private. Um, and that's totally understandable. But I think once people do come to, to treatment, especially the group, uh, someone here mentioned the group, I think you, Hillary, uh, how effective it is. And that's why AA and, and NA are so effective. To be around other people who are experiencing the same issues is incredibly healing. And to not feel alone in this issue is, is just an amazing uh, process. So, you know, a lot of people are very resistant to the group. Uh, I have a client right now who's uh, just totally opposed to groups and 12... 
and 12-step meetings. And we're just working really hard uh, to get him to consider these things because I think that's uh, a big piece of his recovery is to be around other people experiencing the same thing. Mm. So um, you mentioned that when alcohol or drugs get in the way of what you'd like in life, <laughs> that's, that's where you begin to say, oh, something's not right. Are there some things that you might ask yourself um, to help you decide whether things are, uh, these addictions, these uh, substances are, are getting in the way of what you want in life? Yeah, well, uh, you know, out, uh, specifically out of the diagnostic manual, we have uh, criteria that we uh, need to look at in order to, to understand the diagnosis of substance abuse, some substance dependence, which actually is changing over with the new uh, diagnostic manual. But um, so people need to ask those questions. Uh, you know, is there, have I ever drank to the point of not remembering mm. uh, part of the night before? Or has anyone approached me about my uh, drinking or usage and been concerned about it? Um, have I ever been late to work because of, uh, have I ever been in trouble with the law? Uh, these are some of the questions that, um, mm. you know, that people need to ask themselves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so th they've asked themselves those questions. Um, maybe a family member is encouraging them to, to seek treatment. Um, what's the first approach to a group like Acadia Family Center? How does that work? Um, well, we really try to be, uh, you know, gentle with our approach on the telephone. We, we understand and fully acknowledge that that phone call might be the hardest phone call mm. you'll ever make. And sometimes there's, uh, you know, weeks, months, even years behind that phone call. Uh, so we really try to uh, have the person that's answering the phone um, focus on that call and, and invite the client in when it's convenient for them. We're really trying to expand hours so that if the person's working, a lot of our clients are working, come in the morning, come in the evening, make it easy for them to come in. We also offer a sliding fee scale and we have uh, a generous scholarship that we offer. So really we don't want anything to prevent somebody from coming into the center. Uh, and if they say, uh, you know, I, I, I'm also part of a Trans uh, transportation committee through Healthy Acadia. We're looking on a uh, county-wide level, uh, Washington County and Han Hancock County, we're finding that transportation is a huge hindrance for clients to come into not only substance abuse and social services appointments, but getting to their chemotherapy, getting to the grocery store to get healthy food. So it's been very interesting and inspirational to be part of this committee, which is people from all over the county trying to improve that uh, system within our counties. Mm. So it starts with a phone call, then that that then proceeds to an invitation to come and meet with a, a counselor. A, a counselor, mm -hmm. absolutely, and that's about two hours long. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're we're looking at the assessment process right now because there are a lot of questions. That's uh, that's always been an issue in social services organizations. It's a bit, uh, you know, it can be a little daunting. So we try to sometimes we even split up the uh, assessment or intake into two sessions, so not to overwhelm people with all of those questions. But we really do need to get. Uh, a picture, a holistic picture of who the client is today, who they were yesterday, who, what their goals are for, mm. for the future, and what do you want from your life? Mm -hmm. uh, and to find out exactly where the client, uh, you know, intentions are. And again, if they aren't quite ready to stop, that's okay. So we'll talk about that. I have a client who continues to come in and, and say, I, I'm, I'm not ready to stop, but I know you're here. And uh, so mm. I'll just, you know, keep taking those calls and keep meeting with her and, and uh, a part of me senses that she'll be ready at some point. Mm. So you're basically um, establishing a relationship and 
then that person makes their own choice about when they want to engage. That's exactly right. So um, you've kind of uh, gotten to know this person. Um, how might they find their way into um, some of Hillary's sessions in terms of art therapy? What's what's that process like? Yeah, so <laughs> we... Do you want to answer? Well, uh, one way to kind of look at it is if somebody enjoys doing art, um, that's one way to kind of introduce it. Otherwise, if somebody is having trouble kind of expressing what they are feeling through the words, we could suggest a, a meeting with me and see if they would enjoy just kind of looking at um, expressing it on the paper um, or even through guided imagery in some way uh, so that they're not so scared about mm. the therapy process. Mm -hmm. uh, I had used to have a saying um, that you know when I would go into a patient room when I worked in a hospital that if I said therapy, the patient would want to get out of bed and run. And if I said art, they would run even further because uh, it's scary. It's very scary to want to do art. And therapy is a scary thing too, but I try to make it a very open place to just really be free and not worry about um, is it beautiful, uh, the non-judgment right, route. Right, sure. So um, you're working with someone, and sometimes that's individually, sometimes it's, it's in a group. Um, is there any particular way in which art therapy helps with treatment? Most definitely. It uh, really gets that person to relook at their lives, mm -hmm. um, retell their lives. Mm -hmm. It's the storytelling, like I said earlier. Um, they are able to kind of pinpoint some of the triggers as well. Uh, as a coping skill, we always are trying to look for those triggers and trying to work through them. The art sometimes can do that because mm. all of a sudden they're like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> can you think of a, um, a particular uh, piece of, um, we won't call it art, but we'll call it, um, um, we'll call it drawing um, or representation that helps, has helped someone, something that you can relate in terms of some specifics, anything that uh, comes to mind in terms of um, something that then allowed someone to, to uh, say, oh, that's what that means, or that's how I want to use that information. Hmm. Very good question, and I can stem back in my past. Um, there's, I used to work in a mental health setting uh, and inpatient with adolescents, children, adolescents, and adults. And uh, one afternoon in a group setting, we were working on uh, our monsters. Hmm. What is our monster? Hmm. And this particular individual um, had been sexually abused by an uncle, and everybody else was drawing like characters and animals, and she drew a face. Hmm. And uh, she stopped at the end of it and stared and just started to cry. Luckily, the group was pretty cohesive, so we all kind of gathered around her and kind of supported her through it. And I said, well, what do you want to do now? Mm. And that happened, the uncle had passed away, so she wasn't able to have closure. So I said, well, let's do something for yourself to have closure um, or begin the closure because mm. you can't solve it in one setting. Uh, she was able then to rip it up and just felt a sense of relief. And that ripping process was very, very cathartic for her. And she, um, well, she thanked me afterwards, but I was like, well, you, this is just your first step. You have a lot more to work through and a lot more uh, stuff to weigh through. Hmm. And uh, But it gave her that insight that he's not hurting her anymore and she is able to move ahead. Mm. Mm. 
Great story. <laughs> Great story. Thank you. Um, you're t- tuned to Talk of the Towns. We're talking about preventing, treating, and supporting recovery. We're going to come around to supporting recovery in just a minute. But um, first, I wanted to ask Lori Parker if there are particular ways in which, um, as a family therapist, um, you are, are helpful in the treatment process. Well, the first thing that comes to mind, I'm going to dovetail off Hillary because I'm also really interested in um, accessing information through the right brain, which is really what we do in art. So um, yesterday I started setting up my sand tray, (laughs) and um, I have a lot of miniatures. And so what I might do would be to have three sand trays in my room, and family members might might just go and select miniatures from my shelves, and each of them um, create um, a depiction in their sand tray symbolically of what it's been like for them um, to have addiction be in the family. And through symbol, it's easier, like through art, Mm -hmm. to communicate these very difficult experiences that really words don't do justice to. So I'm just going to offer that that's a modality that we can do in family therapy. Certainly we can talk in family therapy. And there is structure to a session in a talk session for family therapy. But it's amazing how rich um, a session can be when we use sand tray. And then the family members can go around and look at each other's sand trays and really have a lot of aha moments by seeing the symbolism, whether it's a monster or um, a burning house um, or someone burying their head in the sand or the, you know, see no evil, hear no evil, say no evil monkeys, which I have. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, um, yeah, that's just nice to have these other modalities um, available. Mm. And again, it seems like um, the the sand tray and the, um, the, the, the things that go into that create an opening to tell a story Mm -hmm. and to tell about the impact that uh, drug or alcohol addiction might have had on that person. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about recovery because um, that's an important aspect of of your work as well. And Christine, get us started about uh, the the recovery and and maybe talk about the the kind of crossover to 12-step programs and the ongoing support that's needed through through recovery process. Sure. Uh, We see clients at Acadia, well, any treatment center uh, who are mandated to come to treatment and uh, by either drug court or uh, DHS in order to uh, hold on to their children or so, uh, and we also have many clients who choose to come to treatment, and uh, all of them, you know, uh, fit along the uh, recovery continuum. And we are always encouraging our clients to go to 12 step. What an amazing uh, community resource for people. Uh, there are great meetings on the island and in Ellsworth. And uh, so many clients are reluctant to go to 12 step. They believe that uh, maybe there's this religious component to it that might not be for them. Um, we always say, just try a meeting and come back and tell us about it. Uh, so we really see pretty inspirational long-term recovery in those rooms. And we see it at the center, too. We've got, we've got many clients who are uh, really committed to their recovery. And uh, so um, many clients, you know, some clients are, are struggling, but we still see that as an inspirational story, that they're sitting there with us and not struggling on their own. So... Uh, we, uh, we, we've, all of us feel that recovery is an ins- inspirational thing, nothing to be ashamed of, and we, and we, we see it at the center every day. And those who are um, um, 
able to tell their story about recovering are certainly going to inspire those who are kind of in treatment or even those who are trying to prevent getting um, addicted in the first place. That's right. Yeah. I'll list our phone numbers uh, one more time and then we'll take our first phone call. Give us a call at 1-866-625-9378 if you've got a question or a comment or perhaps would like to share your own experience about preventing, treating, and supporting recovery from alcohol and drug addiction. And we have a caller if you'd list your first name and um, the town you're calling from and then go ahead with your question or comment, please. Well, I'm not going to do that because I believe in anonymity. But, That's fine. That's uh, fine. I, I applaud your use of, no, I forgot what it was, of the word inspirational hmm. just recently. Uh, and um, I wanted to go back to earlier in the show. I've been sort of tuning in and out because I've had to work, but thank you for the de- rolling up your arms, all of you, rolling up your sleeves and dealing with this vast and complicated issue. It's like a, a hydra or an octopus either way. Hmm, um, yes. And uh, uh, the social question and the class question and the uh, interface between uh, social issues and not to say religion per se because that's such a bad press uh, word but spiritual issues uh, uh, religion is, has frequently really malpracticed the, uh, spiritual issues and given the whole field which is vast vaster than anything we can see a very bad name and, and uh uh, anyway, uh, back to social issues and class and uh, the 12-step program, which in my understanding of it, recent understanding, is very much based on a full-face confrontation of the social and the spiritual dimensions of our addiction. Uh, and I think it's well and good to say that we all uh, are uh, excellent candidates for addiction. Uh, but to, at the same time, uh, n- not relate to, I think, what to me seems a fact that addiction and a malfunctional society, uh, which is... Which is uh, 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 beset by uh, uh, ills and even I might say evils of all sorts to function in this society is very challenging for anyone. So could uh, you could you kind of state a question for us? I don't really have any questions. I just uh, I just uh, commend your approach and I commend your work uh, and I uh, I'm I'm interested that social uh, issues be a part of the recovery process, that relating to social issues is part of the recovery process. Great. And uh, I guess that if you can uh, extract a question from that, well and good, but uh, otherwise I've talked plenty long enough. Well, thank you for your call this morning. 1-866-625-9378 if you've got a question or a comment or your own experience to share around preventing, treating, and supporting recovery. Um, The social context is fascinating that we live in a society that is is this this much more rapid pace 
and information flows much more rapidly. And the issues we're facing seem vast and complex. And I suppose um, for some that causes pain. Mm -hmm. And we want to avoid that pain <laughs> somehow. Mm -hmm. So we seek substances to do that. Is that, you know, is that a good summary of, of how some of those social conditions sure. fit in? And what I got from uh, what the caller was saying, what came to my mind was some of the social anxieties that people mm -hmm. have yes. and how alcohol and other substances can be a real lubricant in those situations. And um, and there are there is a, a lot going on around us, and also going to a party and uh, you know having a glass of wine is is part of part of the norm. Mm -hmm. uh, so we need to learn sort of a new way uh, in recovery to be social without those mm -hmm. uh, without those additives. We've got another call, and uh, we'll just ask you to go ahead with your question or comment, please. Go ahead, please. Yeah, this is Frank in Lemoyne. Uh, speaking on the social issue uh, situation is. Just about, I don't know the percentage of it, but ads on TV and probably on the computer, too. I don't look at ads on the computer, but I'm sure they're on there. A majority of ads, if they're not used cars, they're drugs. So you've got kids who are watching, staring at screens now at a year and a half old. So all their life, they say, eat this drug. It'll either make you sexy or make you last longer or it'll help your blood pressure or it'll keep you skinny, make you beautiful, look like Britney Spears. So it's all drugs. Yes. The whole thing is drugs. We live in a drug culture. And so you're really, I mean, it's a hard thing to, I mean, for people to say, hmm, this one is good, this one's bad. <laughs> it's drugs. We all eat drugs constantly. <laughs> constantly. Right. We all have them. Okay. It's all drugs. Thanks. So for people that make the difference, it can be confusing for people. Sure. You've well, you got a hard job against you. Well, that's right. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for your call this morning. one 625 9378 Yes, you know, um, drugs, alcohol, they're, they're ubiquitous. Mm -hmm. And as someone said um, in, um, the, other, the other day, um, you can't turn on the television and not see an ad for, a, for drugs that are supposed to help us. So how do you, whether you're dealing with young people or older people, how do you help them sort out um, how to get by in, in this in this drugged world? I think it's a great question. I guess I make the distinction um, with uh, using the word medication, right? <laughs> so there's lots of medications that are properly and if properly taken and prescribed by a physician uh, can be really uh, can be beneficial for uh, improving lifestyles. But it's some of these substances such as and now the fact that cannabis is being prescribed. I think we've got an issue there because it's both a drug and a medication and um, and. Uh, some of the ADHD medications, the Adderall and the Ritalin are highly abused. So I think it's an interesting question. So we've got to help people with choices. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, the work that Kip Young is doing and, and yeah. all of you are doing is helping people make some of those choices. We have another phone call. If you'd like to um, list your name and, and uh, uh, your first name and, and town you're calling from, but you don't have to, and go ahead with your question or comment. Yes, hi, um, this is Becky. I'm calling from Goolsboro. Um, I just have a question. Uh, my brother went through um, rehab in, in uh, last year and is doing wonderfully. It's a 12-step program. He was at High Watch in Kent, Connecticut. And I've tried to, been trying to be supportive um, as he's going through this. But I have a problem is that when he comes up with the issue that sent him into that acute phase of abusing, 
um, he can't sort of let go of, it was a relationship with a woman, and I don't know how to to handle this. And he hasn't turned back to alcohol or drugs, but he still wakes up in the night bothered by this issue. And how do we move forward in supporting him moving away from the thing that threw him into this? downward spiral to begin with. Mm. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for your question. Um, uh, Lori, some responses <laughs> to that? Well, it, it, it does relate to what we were talking about earlier, that a really difficult, upsetting life experience um, can um, make someone susceptible to you know picking up some drugs or alcohol. Um, thank goodness um, this person is not using anymore, but it sounds like he's still suffering psychological pain um, if he's waking up in the middle of the night, that's a symptom that um, something is distressing him. And um, there, I would, I would want him to know that there are many, many gentle modalities that can be extremely helpful, whether it's art therapy or gentle processing. The EMDR that I mentioned earlier has a very gentle approach using metaphors and art um, um, or talk therapy. Um, but nobody needs to continue suffering. And again, we just really hope people um, won't view going to therapy um, as being a, a weakness um, because this person's come so far mm. um, and there's more healing still to happen. Mm. Um, and so anyway, I, I just really hope that he can take the next step. Thank you mm -hmm. for, for calling in. So the, the notion that um, again, in recovery, um, we all need support um, throughout our lives. And, and so encouraging um, this person to seek the next form of support mm -hmm. so that they can process. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's even harder for a family member to be that main, main support. Right. So that's why they need to seek out other ways just to, so the family member can be there but not be the main core of that person's uh, moving forward. Right, uh, right. So they, they need help too. Yeah. And I, I suppose yeah. in family therapy, you're figuring out, okay, where where's the best place to, to get help and support for everyone in the family? Right, right. 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 We yeah. also uh, feel very strongly about Al-Anon as an amazing, uh, you know, support program for family members and affected others who, uh, you know, the sister that just called in is, is clearly thinking about her brother and cares mm. about him deeply to call into a radio show and, and mention mm. him. So we hope that she she takes advantages, uh, advantage of the community resources such as Al-Anon. Great mm -hmm. meetings in Ellsworth. Mm. So um, m maybe this is a time to talk a little bit about um, the the array of services that are available. You offer um, wonderful services um, th throughout the Hancock County, but primarily you've got a, an office location in Southwest Harbor. What are some of the other resources that people might um, at least explore um, you know, in, in the listening area, we cover five counties. So, every, you know, every listener has some resources that they can turn to. But give us a sense of some of that, Christine. Yeah, well, we feel uh, strongly about 12-step again. And those resources are easily accessible online or, uh, or uh, by calling, uh, you know, the 12-step numbers. Uh, that can also be found online. And uh, also acupuncture is a great uh, resources resource to uh work with addiction and mental health um, and uh, counseling. We, we offer a certain level of care. Uh, there's a little higher level of care at MDI Behavioral Health, which is a more in, uh, intensive outpatient program through the hospital. Um, 
you know, Open Door Recovery Center is a wonderful uh, program over in Ellsworth. So we just hope that, uh, you know, and again, I know transportation can be a hindrance. So we just really hope that uh, people in Washington and Hancock County um, are utilizing um, both both community, free community resources and, and treatment services. So um, a, a call to your office then would help them um, also find appropriate resources. Absolutely. So your phone number, or if you've got that on the top of your head? Or sure, it's 207-244-4012. Again, 244-4012. And we'd be happy. We receive lots of calls of people that we can't necessarily service ourselves or they can't uh, get to us. We're, we're not offering anger management right now. We get a lot of calls for anger management. I know sex addiction is on the rise. We get calls for that. So we're always finding different programs throughout the county that can help people. Right. Uh, well, I'd like, I, I know that resiliency kind of as a life kind of um, coping skill and a, and, a, and a thriving skill is is something that all of you work on. Maybe each of you could talk a little bit about resiliency as as one of the outcomes that you're hoping for when you work with, with folks. Um, um, start um, with uh, Laurie and just talk a little bit about resiliency in, in a family. Well, I guess when I think of resiliency, I think of um, the resources in a family, the strengths in a family. And when we're doing family therapy, um, I always like, particularly if there's going to be some confrontation around some hurts that have happened, it's always important to start with acknowledging what we appreciate about all family members, um, because often those get left unsaid. and then that can pave the way for making it <laughs> a little bit easier to talk about the hard to talk about things. Um, but our goal of counseling is to um, empower, as Hil- Hillary said earlier, we want to empower our clients and empowerment is a part of resiliency. And that's always a goal of any therapy that we do, um, whether it's Santre, EMDR, family therapy, we hope that people are leaving stronger than when um, they came in. Great. How about you, Hillary? Um, how would you approach that question of resiliency in a very short time frame? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, the way I look at it a lot is, and, and Lori spoke earlier of metaphor, uh, metaphorical representation, I think, is the best way to have a person kind of look at things in their life and see how they can reformat that story mm. so that they can, uh, instead of looking back, because looking back is not going to solve anything, moving forward is going to loop make that person move forward a little bit better. Um, so looking at um, all different parts and just really, really talking about it, illustrating it, uh, just, just being, yeah. <laughs> and, and that helps you understand those um, kind of resilient qualities that you have inside you. Correct, To, yeah, to move forward. Christine, what exactly. would you like listeners to, to leave with? What's the last message that you'd like to leave them with this morning? Uh, that, uh, you know, we're, we're a, a support center for you, and we hope that if you're listening to this show and you think you yourself or that someone that you know or care about has uh, any issue with mental health or substance abuse, call 244-4012. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much, Christine. We've come to that time when I want to remind listeners that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County 
County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990. We're not quite 25 years old, but uh, we're, we're getting there. And happy birthday, uh, WERU. Uh, and all of this continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronac on a Balmain House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guests in the studio, Christine Drabeck, Hilary Chermock, and Laurie Parker, all from the Acadia Family Center. Um, thanks to our listeners. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program. And stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. Support for WERU comes from the Strand Theater in